Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? You're looking good on this beautiful spring morning. And uh, my name is Joe. If you're new here, maybe it's your first time in a long time, I like to just introduce myself. I get to work with all of our different teams and departments and ministries in one way or another and uh, oversee them directly or indirectly. We have an amazing team of pastors, volunteers, uh, people that are here all the time, uh, and and I love you guys. And so I'm excited because today um, you're going to get to see how we do church, which is always cool. Um, You you get to see what we do, but today we're going to talk about why we do it, why we exist as a church. And if you're a first-time visitor or maybe it's your first time in a long time, this is a perfect weekend to come and check us out because you're going to know why we tick. And that's going to really help you, I think, by the end of this service today. And I want to start out by asking you this question. You ever been in an environment, in a space, in a room where one person did one thing and it slowly but surely started to spread across the room and before you knew it, everybody in the room had been caught up in this contagious thing that this one person started. One person can have that kind of effect, and that one person in my life is my wife. She's sitting here in the front row. She's a beautiful uh, person inside and out, and uh, we've known each other for 13 years now, been married almost eight years, and here's what I love the most about my wife. Uh, She's a lot like me in that she's a pretty quirky person, and uh, she does some funny things, and one of the things in our family that we, that we joke about a lot is that in moments where most people are serious or somber or don't know what to say and they kind of just keep to themselves and don't say much, for whatever the reason, my wife and I, we, we have this problem with like nervous laughter, and uh, we, like in moments when most people are, are not smiling at all, like I don't know what it is, there's like muscles in our face that like lift it to, to like a smile, and it's like it looks so wrong in those moments. So wh- I can't tell you how many moments we've been like going somewhere and I have a conversation with her. I'm like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Seriously, don't even, don't even breathe. Like I cannot, I cannot laugh right now. And uh, it's not because we care any less. We're just sick people. Can you pray for us? Can you, is that? <laughs> and so about 15 years ago, before I ever met my wife, uh, her aunt and uncle were going to be married, and her and her two other sisters, who are also great singers, they were going to sing the wedding song at, at their wedding. It was an intimate wedding. There were probably about 40, 50 people in this room, and they were going to sing this song called Flesh of My Flesh. Now, if you know what that song is, that means you have been a Christian for a really long time, okay? You are really extra saved, and it went something like this. You are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I know you're singing along with me. It was in that boys to men era. Everything was soulful. It was great. And, and so it was all about finding that perfect person, your soulmate. And, and so uh, they were ready to go. It was a really beautiful, special moment. All their friends and family are gathered there. And her sister, Kara, her older sister, goes first. And Kara's very prim and proper. And I guarantee you, Kara studied the lyrics and was ready to go from, from the get go. Like she knew what she was going to do. Well, Kara went first. and. Aaron was up after her, and Kara started to sing the song, You are flesh of my flesh. And when she went to sing Bone of My Bone, on the second bone, like she, it like cracked, like, Bone of my bone. And like, that was all it took for my wife at that moment. She tried not to laugh, but you know what happens when you try not to laugh? Like, you just laugh in a dumber way, you know what I'm saying? And so she, she was just like, Pwah, it just came out. 
and, and it's so funny because there's this grainy VHS footage in the Richards family archives that if I blew it up on the screen, you wouldn't even be able to tell what's happening. But you can just watch one by one. And here's the funny part. So she misses her part because she's laughing that Kara's voice cracked. And, and then the next part is for Kristen, her other sister, and she misses her part. And everybody, one by one, starts to giggle and starts to laugh. And you can see my brother-in-law, Malcolm, you just see the back of his head and his shoulders. And he puts his hand over his mouth, and then you start to see his shoulders slowly it's the funniest video. It was contagious. I'll tell you three people who didn't appreciate this moment. Everyone else did, but Kara didn't think it was so funny, and I don't blame her. And, and then the bride and the groom were not a huge fan of this moment, and uh, <laughs> it was contagious. One person did one thing, and the entire atmosphere changed, and there was this other person that had a knack for that. His name was Jesus, and it's really interesting when you start to look at Jesus' life and who he encountered, and the people that he talked to, it was like in a moment, there was a miracle that would happen in their life, and they could have been going one direction on a certain trajectory, and just moments with this guy named Jesus changed everything. He was contagious, and he couldn't help it. And this is crazy, but in the early days of his ministry, Jesus didn't want to spread the word yet. It wasn't time. If you ever read through the New Testament um, in some of the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus will heal a blind man, and he'll see for the first time, or he'll raise someone up to walk, and they've never walked before, or, or he'll heal someone who couldn't speak, and, and all of a the sudden, they're so excited, they want to go tell anyone. He's like, now listen, I just need you to do one thing. Do me this one favor. Just don't tell anybody. And what happens when you tell somebody that you just changed their life to not tell people? They go and they tell people, right? It's almost like more viral that way. Jesus was viral before social media ever got its start. And you see these funny moments in the Bible, like Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. Everywhere Jesus went, there were these crowds that would gather around him. And I just want to tell you something. Jesus started the church, and it was never Jesus' intention for the church to be anything but contagious. God wants each one of us to live a contagious Christianity out every day. And what's even more fascinating is if you look in the New Testament, in the early church, all throughout the book of Acts, and as they share the story of the church, you see these words that occur over and over again. Do a, a word study of just spread and spreading, and you see it over 20 times in a really short sequence of events. It was viral. It was contagious. And I want to read with you a couple of scriptures very quickly to show you a picture of what was going on. So Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they, this is the early church, continued to meet together in the temple courts. That would be their church building. Then they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now just time out real quick. This is why I love connect groups. Because there is something so amazing that happens here every weekend. There's something so incredible about gathering together and worshiping God and thanking him for who he is and getting encouraged and going back out. But then there's something even more powerful that happens when we get outside of these rows and we get into circles and we get to know each other on a deeper level and we can encourage each other. And the Bible calls it like spurring one another on in God. Like there's just something so cool that happens in that moment. And I think this is really interesting. Here was the byproduct and the Lord added to their number, not weekly, not monthly, not annually, but daily, God added to their number. Acts 6, 7, the word of God, here's that word again, spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That word in this terminology is all throughout the scriptures. And if you're going to remember one thing from this morning, I want you to remember this. 
God wants us, each of us, to have a viral vision for our world. God wants you and I to be so contagious, so caught up in what Jesus has done in our life that we have a viral vision for our world. Now, vision is kind of a buzzword in a church, right? You hear it all the time, but sometimes I would imagine if you're newer to church, you're kind of like, where do you get vision? Like, does Pastor Joe retreat away to a mountain and live in a log cabin for 40 days and 40 nights and forage on berries and eat locusts and honey and wear camel skins until the heavens part and God says, this is your vision? I wish so, but that's not exactly how it happens. As a matter of fact, we just get our vision from Jesus himself. And Jesus had this amazing period in, in his life. Uh, he did his ministry for three years, and then he was crucified. And then the man raised from the dead. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And a lot of people don't know this, but after he was raised to life, he spent 40 days on the earth going around Jerusalem and just showing people that he was alive. Because he knew there would be some people that said, nah, never really was dead. Maybe he still is dead. Maybe they just hid the body. And he wanted to make sure that the people who had seen him do his ministry, the people who had been healed of incurable diseases, that they rubbed shoulders with him. And they could, they could see the holes in his hands and his feet. And they could put their hands on his side. He wanted to have those moments with them. And Jesus, over those 40 days, had a sequence of conversations with his followers or the disciples. And every time it went something like this. I want you to go and tell people about what I've done in your life. And there's this moment I want to read with you real quick. And this is the moment before Jesus ascends into heaven. So you have to imagine these disciples have had their world turned upside down by this one person. And now he's about to leave them. And he's going to leave them with some parting words. Can we all agree that whatever Jesus is about to say is probably the most important thing he will ever say to them? Because he wants them to remember this more than anything. Here's what Jesus says. And you, that's you and I still, will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Now, I would imagine we have some Cleveland Cavaliers fans in the house. And I just want to throw this out there, that if you weren't a Cleveland Cavaliers fan last year at this time, you ain't no Cleveland Cavaliers fan, okay? That's for free. Uh, if you weren't a fan when LeBron James was here, wasn't here, uh, then you're just a LeBron James fan, okay? And maybe, maybe through our good graces and the Lord forgiving you, maybe you could win your way back into the Cavs' good graces. But anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, but listen, remember when LeBron James first joined the Cavs? There was this brilliant marketing campaign. You remember what it said? This was on billboards on the side of buildings every, everywhere you went. LeBron James had his arms out. There was chalk in the air, and it said, we are all witnesses, right? Now, what did that mean? Well, that meant that every week during the NBA season, multiple times during the week, especially during the playoffs, there were thousands and hundreds and thousands and actually millions of people that were watching on their smartphones and their iPads and on Time Warner Cable and on Dish Network and DirecTV and then even in the stadium. And here's what they were witnessing. They were a witness to the greatness of the king, LeBron James. Am I right? Every time that LeBron James crossed someone over, every time he evaded three people and dunked over their center, every time he hit a game-winning shot, they were a witness to the greatness of the king. And, and, and what's so important about a witness? Well, they were there, and they saw it. So inevitably, there's going to be some punk that comes along and says, listen, LeBron James isn't that great, man. You need to lay off of the LeBron James stuff. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. let me stop you right there, Patna. LeBron James... LeBron James is amazing because guess what? I am a witness. I was there, and I saw it, and nothing you can say or do is going to talk me out of it. 
Now listen, here's what Jesus is saying. We are all a witness to the greatness of the king. Every one of those people had seen Jesus alter their life in this amazing way, and they were a witness to what God had done in their life. And he knew there would come a day when he was no longer here, and he needed people who had seen him firsthand, who had caught this contagious form of Christianity, who would spread it to other people, even if they didn't even believe in their hearts. They weren't sure if they believed that he was real. To, to the farthest skeptic, the person farthest from God, there would be witnesses all over the world that said, I was there, I saw it, and he changed my life. Now, in a courtroom, if they call a witness to the stand, what is a witness there for in most cases? Uh, they were firsthand there to witness a crime. And I think this is really fascinating. If you think about the disciples, they witnessed a crime. They witnessed their Savior, who was perfect, who did nothing wrong, murdered with zero reason. And Jesus knew that one day, when people said, is Jesus really the real son of God? Is he who he says he is? They could tell people, yeah, I'm a witness. I stood there. I watched the nails go into his hands. I watched the nails go into his feet. And I watched him raise again on the third day from the dead. I am a witness. Now, here's, here's the thing about witnesses. They're not much of a witness if they don't say anything, right? I think some Christians live in witness protection. They're a little bit afraid of what they've seen. They're afraid of the consequences, and they hide out. And I think this is really fascinating. It says, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, you saw it. Telling people, in other words, you say it. You saw it, and then you say it. That's the qualification of a witness. You've got to be able to see it, but then you've got to be willing to say it, right? And then I love this next part. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a beautiful picture of what God's trying to say here is that if you were to take a rock and you were to throw it into a pond, any pond anywhere in the world, here's what happens. It makes an impact, and from that impact out come these rings, these concentric circles, these ripples. And that's what Jesus was saying. I'm going to make an impact, and so are you, and out from there, I want these concentric circles to happen where you can spread this viral vision throughout the whole world. Now, he listed those places in order of geographic location. And so he said, first, I want you to do it in your hometown, in Jerusalem, because what good is it to fly to a foreign mission field if you're not reaching your neighbors, right? Some of us fly over one mission field to reach another. And I think what God is trying to say is, no, 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 we need to be just as passionate about the people that are two cubicles over, the people in our family, the people at the dentist office, as we are with the people that we support through Compassion International or fill in the blank. All of those things are needed, and eventually we've got to go everywhere, but we've got to start right here. And that's what Jesus was saying. And so here's, here's what I've noticed. If you're anything like me, and I suspect you probably are, because we're all human, it is really easy to veer off of the vision that God has called us to. Really easy. Y'all probably know that feeling of driving a new car off the lot. For those of you who are not of driving age yet, there's nothing like it. I still remember the first time I did it when I paid for my first car. There was a, a feeling that you had driving off the lot. It's completely clean, and even if it's not brand new, it feels like it's brand new. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it could be like I, I had a 2000 Dodge Neon, and you would have thought I was driving a Cadillac. I mean, I was so excited about my new car. And you know what's cool about a new car? Get out on the road. You can almost just take your hands off of the steering wheel, and you still go straight, Right? Now, why is that? Well, it's because it hasn't experienced any wear and tear. It hasn't experienced some of those amazing northeastern Ohio potholes yet. 
It hasn't experienced weathering through storms, right? I mean, it's just brand spanking new. It's the most amazing feeling. It still has that new car smell. Oh, that new car smell. I will never smell that again until my kids leave the house, but <laughs> it's an amazing smell. But what happens over time, just because of the bumps in the road, because of all the things I mentioned, eventually you can't take your hand off the steering wheel, right? As a matter of fact, you've got to keep your hand on the steering wheel and compensate for how much it wants to go one direction or the other. And why is that? It gets out of alignment. And I think every person in here, it would be really healthy for us every once in a while to just remember back to that moment when we drove off the lot with Jesus. Remember that moment, I don't know if it was two months ago or two years ago or two decades ago, maybe longer, but that moment when God first got a hold of your heart? Just can you travel there with me in your mind for just a moment? If you haven't had that feeling yet, by the end of today, I hope that, that this might be your day to have that feeling, but do you remember that moment? There was nothing like it. It was almost like you were floating. It was almost like there was nothing anybody could say, nothing anybody could do. You were contagious and you didn't care. You were just driving down the road of life. But eventually, here's what happens in all of our lives. We hit some bumps in the road. There are some unexpected twists and turns. Maybe for you it was a family mem member that was sick or it was somebody that you were expecting something to go a different way. You thought you'd be further along in your career by now. Uh, maybe it's persecution you've experienced for sharing your faith. I don't, I don't know what it is. But eventually we can just kind of get out of alignment and like any good car, what do you have to do to get back into realignment? You've got to take it into the shop. You've got to let them make some adjustments and then get back on the road and do it again. And I, I really think this is what God wants to do this morning right here in your hearts at Believer's Church. I think this is a good realignment moment. All of us need it. Everybody does. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about God or, or maybe this is the first time you've been back into church in 20 years. I don't know, but I know every one of us needs a moment where we can remind ourselves that it's so easy to veer off of the vision and get right back on point to do what God has called us to do. God wants to help us to make sure that we realign. Now, speaking of this whole idea of contagious, I have a three-year-old daughter. She's really beautiful. Her name is Riley. And uh, anybody that has kids, you know that three-year-olds, toddlers, really children at any age that are in contact with other beautiful, runny-nosed kids, uh, they are a breeding ground for every type of virus you can think of. I'm pretty sure I've, I've contracted the plague on several occasions since I've become a parent. And uh, why is that? Well, it's because they connect with each other, and, and they're at the playground in the mall, and they're at the daycare, and they're at school, and it's like the more they interact with each other, I've heard it said they can actually get up to 12 or 13 viruses a year, and they bring those puppies home to you and give you a hug. And uh, our daughter, Riley, she has this amazing knack uh, for infecting you in the most random ways. And uh, she loves to sit on my lap, and I love when she sits on my lap, and she tells me about her day, and she just tells me all about, like, you know, who she played with, and what was going on, and what dolls did what to these dolls, and all of this stuff, you know, that I really do, I, I listen, and she's sitting on my lap, and after I get, you know, the word on the street, the scuttlebutt, all of a sudden, with no warning, zero warning, from, from zero to 16.2 seconds, she can sneeze or cough right into my mouth, <laughs> and anybody that's a parent or a grandparent knows exactly what I'm talking about, zero warning, boom, you are drinking a virus. I mean, it's, you know what it tastes like and everything. My, my cousin Ryan had her do this to him one time, and, and he was like, man, it's almost like she's contagious and she doesn't even care. And, and I was thinking, man, that's a beautiful picture of what happens when we first meet Jesus. You all remember that moment when you first met God? Remember, it's just so amazing, and, and like, you don't even care who knows about it. You'll tell anybody. 
But over time, here's what we taught Riley. What's the first thing you teach him? Cover your mouth, right? Cover your mouth. Because if you're contagious and you cover your mouth, you're less likely to get people infected. And I think the enemy is a master at getting us to cover our mouth, at talking us out of what God's called us into. And it's very easy to do that. And I don't know what's gotten you to cover your mouth, but I know the disciples ran into this. They were so excited about Jesus that actually on the first day of their ministry, the day of Pentecost, they had 3,000 people come to know Jesus through Peter sharing the message of the gospel. And the religious leaders did not like this just like they didn't like that Jesus was leading this movement, and they wanted to stop it. Here's a conversation we get to be a part of. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And I don't know what's causing you to cover your mouth. Maybe it was because you were so excited about God and you decided you were going to share your faith with somebody. And you stepped out on a limb and you fell off and they didn't receive it the way you thought you would. Or, or maybe even worse, they started to make fun of you or persecute you or it made trouble for you. Maybe it's just that this amazing place called the church where you first encountered all of these amazing things that changed your life, you eventually encountered some imperfect people that were kind of like you and they disappointed you or let you down or offended you, and you're just like, man, I can't tell people about Jesus. I'm not even so sure I love the people that call Jesus Lord. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. We just start to cover our mouth. It's like we learn better, and we cover our mouth, and I want this message today, just for the next few minutes, I want it to challenge you and encourage you to take that hand off of your mouth, to begin to just take some steps for God again and just say, you know what? I want to be contagious and not even care about it. I want to have a viral vision for my world. So, Here's what I thought we could do. I want to give you three ways that you can stay contagious. Three ways you can stay contagious. And uh, I'm sure most of you still remember the whole Ebola scare that happened in the last six months. Um, my wife was all about Ebola before that ever happened because her favorite movie, no lie, like this is her favorite movie. I'm telling you, we're a sick family. Outbreak. You guys remember Outbreak that came out in the mid-90s? Like that, Dustin Hoffman. Great movie, actually. I love disaster movies. And so when all of this is happening, we're like the only people in America that are sitting at home eating popcorn, watching Outbreak and, and Contagion. Like that was just our life. And like, I was surprised that President Obama didn't find me to be the Ebola czar because I was so convinced I was ready to fix all of this. Like I was a little bit, I almost nominated myself because we just, we became so knowledgeable about all of this stuff. And Here's, here's what I found out about Ebola early on. A virus, viral, it leaves a residue. Did you know that? Viral leaves residue. Um, when somebody is infected with Ebola in particular, um, it can actually linger on a surface that they've touched or interacted with up to hours or days after they've been there. Isn't that crazy? And so they would tell you, you need to, if you have any suspicion that anybody has been infected, you need to make sure that you bleach that area down, disinfect it, do whatever you need to do, but make sure that you take care of it because viral leaves a residue. And it just got me to thinking, what if we were so contagious as a church that we had hundreds and thousands of people that were caught up in what God was doing in our life? And we just began to go to our workplaces, and we just began to go to our families, and the gas station, and the convenience store. And after we left, we left such a mark on the people that were in there that it almost like left a residue. Did you know that God wants you to live a lifestyle that lingers long after you've left? That's God's plan for your life. And I was thinking about fall camp a couple years ago. And we had a, a big group of, of students and leaders up there, and we had this log cabin and it, we ended up having a snowstorm, so we didn't get to go outside a lot. 
So you got to just imagine this. Uh, we had a log cabin full of about 10 guys, many of whom hadn't showered in a couple days, you know. The sh- there wasn't a lot of warm water. It just wasn't real easy to shower. You had to trek through the snow. Combine that with vegetable pizza and no ventilation, and that was a recipe for, for leaving a life uh, that lingered in, in our cabin long after we were gone, you know. Um, we didn't realize it until we would leave the cabin, and then you came back in, and you were like, wow, this is, this is thick in here. This is, uh, I can taste this. This is... Um, it's like that smell that every mom knows when she walks in her teenage boy's room. And just there, you don't know where it is in the room and you don't know what it is. It's unidentifiable, but it like lingers. You know what I'm saying? What if, what if, what if we were like that in our lives and in our world? I mean, I don't know. I'd imagine on a daily basis, you have an opportunity to be negative about the area you live in, about life, to see life from a glass half empty perspective with the people at your office, and it's really easy to just join in and just go along with it, but I'm not saying to do it in a goody-two-shoes kind of way, but I'm just saying, what if you were just the positive energy in the room, the life-giving spirit in the room, and just when they talked to you, they were like, there is something about them. I can't put my finger on what it is, but there is something about them. I got to get what they have. We want to leave a residue. We want to live a life that lingers. Now, here's the second one. This is obvious, but sometimes I think we miss this. Viral needs contact. Like, it does you no good to be contagious if you don't come in contact, right? Like, God wants us to be contagious and come into contact with people so that we can infect them in the best way possible. And uh, I've, I've determined that in the Christian life, there are two phases that you walk through. And the first is separation. You know, there is a healthy moment in your life when you first meet Jesus where you need to lose some contact with some people that you used to know. Uh, there are some behaviors and some mindsets and some habits and some addictions that there is no way to break free from those until you break away from the people that you did them with. That's, that's a healthy thing. But here's what I've noticed in my life. Sometimes we can get so good at that, so good at building kind of this fortress of faith all around us, so good at insulating ourselves from the world that we don't interact with many people that are far from God. And Christians have like this habit of, I'm going to wear all Christian clothes and buy them from all Christian retailers, and I'm only going to eat Christian chicken. I'm only going to watch Christian movies, and none of that's wrong. None of that's wrong. Hear me. But when we, when we miss out on the opportunity to save others, then we've missed out on the purpose of being saved to begin with. God wants us to reach other people, and you can't do it unless you come in contact with them. That's why I love, love, love connect groups. And over the last couple of months, uh, really, the last six months, we've been playing basketball with a group of guys here at the church. I love these guys, and uh, we're competitive. I'm not super good, but, like, I want to win. And none of this Little League stuff where we don't keep score. Like, at the end of the game, we, we want someone to walk out with their heads high and someone to be looking at the ground because they're a loser. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. Halfway. There's some just good old-fashioned competition happening among men. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's, that's a great reason that we gather together, and that's awesome. And there's a ton of people that love God, and it's good to get around people that you know and love that think the same way as you. But the underlying reason, and we all know this, and it's an unspoken thing with us, is like we want an easy in for people that are far from God. And can I tell you something? There are some people that would never come to a service first, uh, but we can take that to them. And so every week, 
It's not this big deal. It's just we all know that the leaders in our church know that if we have somebody that we think, man, I'd love to share Jesus with them, but I think the easiest way to do it would just be to invite them to come play basketball with us. You see new people. We have about 20 to 25 guys every week, and I guarantee you every week there's going to be three, four, maybe five or six people that are far from God, don't want anything to do with church, or haven't been in church in decades, and we like it that way. And listen, you know, the language can get a little bit, a little bit rough, and that's just our staff. And I, no, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but we love it that way because we're getting into contact with people who need Jesus. And can I just promise you something? Next week, when Easter rolls around, some of those people that would never set foot in a church I guarantee at least one of them will, maybe two, maybe three, maybe five or ten. I don't know. There's been so many people that we've had a chance to come into contact with them, and we believe it's changing them. Now, Andy Stanley, who's a great pastor at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, they have a mega church. It's like up near 20, 25,000, and they have thousands of connect groups. And, and here's just because they can't fit connect groups in their building, no matter how big of a building you get, you can't fit thousands of connect groups there. They have this rule. You can't have your connect group on the premises. So that could sound kind of like a bummer, but here's the cool part about it. By virtue of their limitations, they have to meet out where other people are. And so instead of just meeting like in a classroom, all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's meet at my house. And you know what they start to do? They start to reach people from their neighborhood. And they start to come into contact with all of these different people. Here's something crazy. In a church where they could absolutely afford to build a gymnasium or a life center or whatever, uh, they refuse to because they want their members to go and mix it up with real people who are far from God at the YMCA down the street and at the gym, at the elementary school. There's something so cool about just saying we are going to make sure that we come into contact with people. And there's nothing wrong with building cool buildings. And we can get people here a lot. That happens a lot. But I'm just saying there's something about taking it to them so that we can bring them to God. That's amazing. Now, if you're like me, the way that I break down and I get sick my immunity starts to lower by repeated exposure to my sweet daughter, Riley. And every time that she brings home a virus, I love her and I spend time with her, and that's not going to stop. And so I'm either going to become immune to it or I'm going to hang out and it's going to break me down and I'm going to catch it myself. And can I tell you something? That's what connect groups and that's what living a lifestyle that lingers does. It's repeated exposure over time that is tearing down their immunity to the things of God. And they might not even realize it's happening, but what once sounded so outlandish and like something they would never, ever think or do, all of a sudden, it starts to make sense to them, and they start to say, there is something different about this person, and I need to know what's going on in their life. And that viral vision spreads to them, and it changes their life. We cannot be contagious without contact. Now, here's the final one. You ready? Viral is unstoppable with a willing host. Viral is unstoppable with a willing host. Now think about this. The whole crux of the reason that the United States was infected with Ebola was because there was one man that wasn't honest at customs, didn't say that he had interacted with someone, or they didn't ask him the right series of questions, whichever way it was, but he willingly flew to another country, another continent, as a contagious carrier of this disease. And listen, I've watched this happen. If you look through the Bible and you look all throughout history, there are all these moments where it looks like Christianity is in danger of dying. It, it looks like this movement that Jesus started is, is going to be shutting down its doors, but in every case, all throughout history, it's amazing. There's always a group of people, 
a remnant, or sometimes it's even just one person that does one thing that changes the entire atmosphere of where they live. Now, this is amazing. Think about this. Jesus starts this viral movement. People all over the place are being changed by him. The religious leaders don't like it. They crucify him, and they quarantine him in this thing called a tomb. Three days later, he raises from the dead. He infects more people. Forty days of infecting people everywhere he goes, letting them know that there's a viral vision to be had, contagious Christianity. And after he leaves, the disciples catch it, and they spread it everywhere. And there was this disciple named Stephen, and the more that he spoke out about Jesus, the religious leaders didn't like that, and they did the same thing to him as they did to his Savior. They incited a riot, and they stoned him to death. And while he was being stoned, while they were trying to take him out, he was praying this prayer, God forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And guess what? There was a man there that incited the whole riot, and his name was Saul. And as he's trying to take out this virus, he's infected by the virus, and he later becomes Paul, the greatest apostle to ever live. Now, several of the disciples who were in close contact with Jesus, Peter being one of them, were crucified in a similar manner to Jesus. And they said, I don't want to be crucified in the exact same way. I, I don't deserve that to be crucified like my Savior was. So Peter said, crucify me upside down. And Peter has a lesser known brother named Andrew who has this amazing moment that happens with him. And he's being persecuted and he, he'll stand for Jesus and they crucify him. And he says, I, I don't want to be crucified like my Savior. Crucify me on a cross in the shape of an X. And so they put him through this excruciating process, very similar to Jesus, and it lingered for two days. They kept him alive as, as long as they could so that the punishment would be evident to everyone who was watching and so that he would suffer so they could stop this virus, this viral vision called Christianity. And you know what he did during those two days? He told people about Jesus. You know that I, I heard this just this morning. A virus is most, is most dangerous the closer the host is to death. Did you know that? The, the more uh, they get around people, that exposure, the closer they are to death, that's when it's the most deadly. And that's what happens. It's like all of a sudden, they're in these moments when the enemy thought he was snuffing them out and they're actually spreading it. And, you know, I think the devil thought he was smart and when he heard that he would be crucified on an X, I think he, he thought that stood for the annihilation of another saint. But I think God had the last laugh because I think God said, no, 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 that stands for unstoppable multiplication. And when you think you can kill that person, that's fine, but you can't kill the message. It lives on. There was this other man named John and he was boiled in a vat of oil. They did it to make an example of him, but it wouldn't kill him. They couldn't kill him. And so instead of killing him, they quarantined him on this island called Patmos and he was a slave for the rest of his life. But while he's a slave on the island of Patmos, growing old, vision growing dim, he writes this book. It later becomes a New York Times bestseller. It's called Revelation, and it's all about the revelation of Jesus. And as he's quarantined on an island, the message of Jesus spreads even further. All throughout history, you see examples of this. How about the man named William Tyndale in, uh, in 1535? He wants to translate the Bible into the common language so that everyday people can experience Jesus and be changed by the message of the cross. The king of England didn't like that because he was living in a moral lifestyle. And so he ordered him to be executed by strangulation. This isn't just hanging, it's strangulation. It was a gruesome thing that they did in England. And here was his dying prayer. As he was being strangled, he said, God, open up the king of England's eyes. Two years later, his prayer came true. And the king of England, God softened his heart enough to where he commissioned the writing of the great Bible, 
which later led to 70% of the King James Version of the Bible, which spread all across the world and spread Reformation with it. Anytime in history you look at a moment where the church was, was down for the count, didn't have a chance, God always uses somebody to do one thing to change the atmosphere and spread this viral vision. So I want to give you one practical thing as we close to encourage you to take a step. And, and I thought it was, it was appropriate to read one more thing about Peter and John. You know, there were these people that were making observations about them and here's what they said, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, can I just tell you this? God doesn't need you to have a master's in divinity to share your faith. You don't have to go to four years of school or have some kind of a degree to change somebody's life. God just needs you to be you right where you are. When they saw that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Can I tell you the only prerequisite for sharing your faith with people? Have you been with Jesus? Have you been a witness to the greatness of your king? Because if you have, in any way he's changed your life, you have all the ability to do what Jesus has commanded you to do, which is to go into the world and spread this message. And can I just lay some knowledge on you? This is going to blow your mind. You want a statistic about evangelism? 100% of the people that you do not invite will not come with you to church. I told you I'm a smart person. <laughs> you know, I think most of you were able to get a little dot. It's a sticker dot on your way. And if you weren't, our host team is going to hand these out as you exit today. And you probably saw this on video announcements for the last couple weeks, but this dot is meant to go on a map out in the, north, in the west lobby. And this map represents the area that we feel right now God is calling us to first reach before we launch out into multiple campuses. And we want you to take a dot and place it over the area where your friends, your family, your coworkers, where they live, and where you think you're going to invite them. And you might be saying, Joe, I don't think I could ever really make a difference in people's lives. I, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know enough of the Bible. I can't rub two scriptures together. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. You can make a difference one dot at a time. There is someone, I might not be able to change everybody, but I can change somebody. I might not be able to tell everybody, but I can tell somebody. I might not be able to do everything, but I can do something and it's going to happen one dot at a time. You know, as we close, I want to just uh, tell you a, a cool story. A couple years ago, uh, my wife and I were coming out of Olive Garden. And we were just having a date. Didn't get many of those because we had young kids. And we were just enjoying each other's company. To be honest, God wasn't on my mind. I was just having a fun time, enjoying my wife, enjoying some time away from the kids. And we walk out of the restaurant and... We hear this lady in the distance who's asking people for help. And to be honest, I just, I was ready to just go to my car. I, I saw someone else talking to her. I didn't think about it much longer than that. And all of a sudden I heard, excuse me, and my wife and I both turned around. And we met this woman named Sophie. And Sophie, her car had broken down over at the gas station near Olive Garden. It was just because of gas. They didn't have any gas. And she looked like she didn't come from much. She didn't have much money. And all of a sudden, we just, we were like, what can we do to help you? And she said, can we just, can you give us some money for gas? And I said, you know what? I can't give you money for gas. I actually didn't have any on me, but I said, I'll walk over with you to the pump and I'll pump you some gas. And, and I just, I thought to myself, you know what? I've been praying for opportunities to rub shoulders with people who are far from God because I work at a church and I don't get those opportunities often. And I, 
I knew I had two or three minutes while I pumped gas to tell him about Jesus. And, and so I just started telling her and her boyfriend, Charlie, about Jesus. And they were, they were in a rough place, and they were battling drug addiction. And they said, you know what? We don't have any food at home. And they had kids in the car. I said, let's go into the gas station. I, I didn't spend much, but I just got them some bread and some milk and some basics. And I invited them to church. And you know what? They came to church that Sunday. God started to change their life. I'd be lying to you if I told you that they ended up being followers of Jesus. They struggled with a lot of things, drug addiction being one of them. But I had an ongoing relationship with them, and so did some of the people in the church. And just this year, I read in the paper that Charlie and Sophie, they, they were killed in a house fire. And they suspected that there was foul play. You know, in that moment, it broke my heart, and I was sad to hear that. But the one thing that got me so excited was that in that one moment, I used my, my dot, my space that God allowed for me to interact with somebody, and I made a difference in someone's life, and I inconvenienced myself, and I took the viral vision that God had placed in my heart, and I allowed it to change somebody else. And I'm just asking you, who's your Charlie? Who's your Sophie? You never know how much time you have left with them, and you never know how much difference you can make in their life. I want everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. You know, if you have someone that you know God wants you to invite. I, I want you to do me a favor. It's going to take you an extra 30 seconds or a minute or two to head out to the lobby today, but I want you to take that dot, and I want you to go place it where you're going to invite them. And listen, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't know who it is, you're like, God, I have nobody in my life that I can reach out to. I want that dot to go home with you today, and I want it to bother you a little bit. I, I want you to put it on your iPhone cover. I want you to put it on your iPad case. I want you to put it on the mirror the window somewhere where you see it all week long, and until God shows you who it is, I want it to stay there. And I really believe this, that God answers prayer, and when you ask him prayers like that, God, please lead me to the right person, he does it every time. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I, this is interesting. I've never heard it put like this before. I've heard of Jesus, but I've never heard anyone talk about him this way. I just want to let you know that this is not an accident and you're not here by mistake. God wanted you to hear this today because God wants to change your life. And not only does he want to change your life, but he wants to change you forever. You know, God so loved you, so loved you, that he sent his only son Jesus to die on a cross to take the punishment that all of us deserve for our sin in the areas that we fall short because he loved you. And then here's the cool part. He makes it really simple. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father in heaven except through me. I'm the only way. And then he makes it very simple what we have to do. He says, if you believe in your heart, and then you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved, rescued, get to spend eternity with God in a place called heaven. But here's the cool part. He wants to change your life in the here and now. And all that it starts with is a simple step, a simple prayer. And there are hundreds of people in this room that want to pray it with you. So right now, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to just repeat it with me. And if you mean this from your heart, the Bible makes it very clear. A miracle takes place. Let's pray this together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me on the cross. And thank you that he would have died for only me and only my sins. If no one else was on this earth, he loves me that much. And now... I receive that love, and I ask you, God, take over my life. Take the steering wheel of my life. Never let me veer off of the vision you've given me. Help me see you more clearly than ever.
Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.